This is Secret Sauce, a podcast about the secret ingredients in artwork and life. I'm your host, Becca Borelli. I'm also an illustrator in Austin, Texas, and this episode is entitled Art Will Save Us. It's been a minute. <laughs> Did y'all think I was gone forever? <laughs> I have missed recording so much. There's so many things to share with you. I can't wait to tell you about what's been going on over here. Um, well, I mean, I can't wait to tell you some of it. Some of it's been hard. There's been there's been a lot going on. Um, but I'm going to resist the urge to dive into a bunch of housekeeping. I just, I want to sort of sidestep that and act like we just talked to each other. <laughs> like a week ago. And I want to plunge into this episode today. And and then I want to talk, you know, about, about what's been going on in the next episode, presumably next, you know, in a, in very, in a very short amount of time, right? Presumably not six months from now. <laughs> also feel like it's worth having a chuckle about because I'm not terribly sure if I'm remembering correctly, but I do think I remember making some pronouncements on this platform that I was going to be more regular in my posting and certainly have not been, certainly have not been. And for, for good reason, truly. But, um, you know, I'm very aware (laughs) that the cardinal rule of podcasting is to do it regularly and I have not been doing it regularly. And, and so there's part of me that thinks, well, why even bother? But, I don't know. It feels kind of like exercise or eating clean or any of the other things that are really lovely and awesome for ourselves. You know, doing it once in a while is better than never. And this podcast, I, uh, I really enjoy it and I enjoy you and I appreciate you listening. I have been hesitant to record this because it's a scary time. And I know when I'm scared, you know, aside from anyone else, um, it's easy for me to be triggered and infuriated. And I'm pretty removed from social media and traditional media right now. Um, We decided to pull my business off of social media a year and a half ago. Uh, As some of you who've been following my work for some time know, it was a decision that took some time. Like I, I would say like three or four years, I was kind of dabbling with the idea. I didn't enjoy social media. I didn't enjoy the noise there. It was definitely really messing with my creative energy, but also felt a lot of pressure to be there as do a lot of makers. And my assist, assistant Bobby and I kind of for a long time were looking at some of the metrics around where my sales were coming from, where clients were coming from. And it was really looking more and more like they weren't coming from social media at all. And so last May, in May of 2022, we decided to just pull everything off and see what would happen. And it affected my business very little. And that was amazing. And so we've remained off social media. And I'm so grateful for that. I know not everyone has that privilege and luxury. Um, but I, but I remember how quickly content 
from anybody would just trigger the crap out of me when there was so much going on. And as I was thinking about recording this episode, I wanted to be really sensitive to that. Um, and I, it was becoming, I'm sure some of you can relate. It was becoming such a thing that I was feeling increasingly like maybe I just better not record. You know, it'd been so long. I don't even remember the last time I posted an episode. I, it's been a while. It felt like maybe, you know, why don't I just like wait till the first of the year and start with something like very mundane. <laughs> and then I ran across, I was, you know, a little under the weather recently and I rewatched Dave Chappelle's acceptance special for the Mark Twain prize. Um, it's on Netflix. If you've never watched it, As a creative person, as I know all of you listening to this podcast are, you must watch it. It's beautiful. And one of the things he said at the end was, now is the most important time for artists to be brave in what they make. And I thought, okay, Dave. (laughs) But Art Will Save Us is a pretty bombastic statement. And fleshing out and unpacking what that means in a way that isn't like full of platitudes (laughs) took some time you know I've been kind of hashing through this for the past month so I so I want to make the disclaimer before we go on this little walk together today (laughs) that you take what resonates with you and leave the rest as always because there's going to be so much that I say that will not be for you that will probably be triggering and frustrating and annoying I kind of want to just get that out there um because increasingly especially as the pressure cooker of the culture on the planet rises I think there's a sense that we shut down anything that feels like too much and maybe part of the reason that we do that at least I know the reason I do that is because there's a sense that when something comes into our space that we're supposed to ingest and then digest all of it and no wonder we're all feeling so massively overwhelmed and can we learn to listen to something like a podcast proclaiming an idea as brazen as art art as a savior (laughs) and just digest the pieces that really are for you and then you know spit out the other stuff (laughs) yeah how's that for a metaphor all right let's go um i'm not the first person to suggest that art is going to save us Um, many creatives many artists have said some version of this Um, very famously Toni Morrison said years ago in response to you know a pretty heavy current affair time you know that when things get really hard on the planet it is precisely the time when artists go to work those are her exact words There is no time for despair. There's no place for self-pity. There's no need for silence, no room for fear. We speak, we write, we do language. That is how civilizations heal. 
And of course, she's speaking to writers because she's a writer. But this is about being this is about being a maker, right? And it's not just about being a classically trained traditional style of maker, right? Like you might be listening to this podcast right now and you're not a painter, you're not a writer, you're not a poet, you're not a musician. Um, I've said this multiple times on this podcast, but it, it bears repeating now. Art, yes, art is an object. Art is a profession. Art, artistry is a profession. Also, art is a quality of anything. And increasingly we are seeing art starting to infiltrate this idea of art as a quality of a thing starting to infiltrate all of our institutions and organizations. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that later, but we're seeing the ways that healthcare is becoming more artistic, science is becoming more artistic, industries, retail, all of these spaces that were considered even just five, 10 years ago, completely separate from art, becoming more and more artistic and this applies to people too right I I use the example of target cashiers often and I'm not sure why I think it's because for some reason I know that most people listening to this podcast experience interactions with target cashiers at least once in a while Um, and also I'm fairly certain that most of us if all of us don't consider them artistic right and and All of us have had the experience of having an atrociously hard day. So much so that we're like not even really in our bodies. Like we're kind of disconnected just so we can like survive the commute home or whatever. And we remember that we, oh crap, we need to pick up some water or a box of tampons or whatever. And we're really annoyed and we have to fight traffic in a parking lot. And we go into this big crowded box store (laughs) and we get up to pay for it and 99% of the time, the interaction is completely mindless as well. And once in a while, that person who's there to take your money is a ray of freaking sunshine. And it's not even what they say or do. It's the energy, right? They really like give a crap about you and like take an interest in your day. And sometimes it can actually be annoying, right? Like you just want to have a mindless interaction. Like, please don't make me talk to you. I've had a terrible day. But when it comes from this very sincere, pure place, that like 30 seconds with this person that you don't even know makes you feel 100% lighter and you go back to your car feeling better. And most of the time, I think most people don't even notice it, right? Which is unfortunate, but sometimes we do and we like thank that cashier. We're like, hey, thank you, random dude or (laughs) ma'am. My day feels better just because of you. That's artistry as a target cashier, right? They are making and creating profoundly. It's just they're not doing it on a canvas or a sheet of, you know, paper. They're doing it on you, right? That's artistry as a quality of a thing. And all of us do that. Living is the ultimate art form. Your life is the ultimate artwork, And expanding our view around artistry is happening more and more on the planet. And it's one of the goals of this podcast, right? And so I feel like that's important to start off by acknowledging because everyone listening to this is part of the way that art is going to save this planet, no matter what you do. And I want to unpack what that means because, yeah, that feels a little bit weird. 
it feels beautiful and it probably resonates, right? Like the Toni Morrison statement that I just read, that resonates it. If it didn't, it wouldn't be reprinted and re-spoken over and over (laughs) since she said it. And I suspect most of us, if not all of us, are kind of like, cool, Tony, but how does that work? (laughs) Like, do I like paint a bowl of fruit and hold it up in the air and it's just going to like heal things? And yeah, that sounds dramatic, but maybe it's helpful to speak some of those more dramatic ideas so we can get them out of the way because we can acknowledge that that idea that art is going to save us feels a little bit like a platitude. Like, cool, great. Um, They're bombing babies on the other side of the planet right now. I don't really understand how painting bananas means shit. And yeah, like, I want to swear there because that's how it feels, you know? We do have, I think, a pretty reductionist idea of how art saves You know, at the very worst, we're thinking about painting a bowl of fruit and how meaningless that feels in the face of some of these tremendous things happening on the planet right now. You know, and then maybe like on the other side of the spectrum, we can kind of see how it saves. Like when I think of some of the more obvious examples, I think of Banksy, you know, he's a street artist and he's done actual street art in Palestine, for example, um, and so maybe you know maybe that feels like okay cool like Banksy's like he's he's kind of like touching he's kind of brushing up against some of this really hard shit you know but what does that mean for like the rest of us you know for the target cashiers for the trash collectors for the people that sweep the streets after a busy Saturday night downtown? Like, what does it mean for all of us who are just like living in the world? You know, we're not, I'm not Banksy. I don't have like international acclaim. Um, I'm not getting out there in war zones and spray painting, like really like provocative, thought provoking, you know, zeitgeist inspiring ideas (laughs) onto the sides of walls. Like, I'm, you know, a very, very sleep deprived (laughs) new mom who is, you know, scraping together some time to do art clients and showers sometimes and cleans sometimes and has a few moments to talk to friends. And generally, that's it. Like, what does it mean for someone like me or someone like you that art is going to save the world? Can we unpack that today? I kind of want to try. But before we go on this little journey together, (laughs) I want to remind everyone listening to this, and I've said this before, but it bears repeating now. Take what resonates with you. Leave the rest. It's going to be a little walk down the yellow brick road here. I want to unpack a more complex answer to the question, how is art going to save us, right? Because it's not going to be a bowl of fruit, in, at least not in the way that I just described it. It's not even going to be Banksy in the way I just described it, right? Like I want to suggest that there's something else going on 
when artists are talking about the way that art will heal the civilization. And I really think it's going to start with our babies. And I want to talk specifically about my son because two years ago, Jason and I had our first child. He's blowing my brains open every day. (laughs) And it's gotten me to thinking a lot about how interesting it is that our culture really reveres children, or at least it says that it does. And it understands the purity and wisdom that children come in with, right? And then the first thing that every parent, myself included, tries to do is like get them acclimated to the shit that's going on here. And how quickly can we get our kid into the program of this current situation on planet Earth? And is that the best way forward? Is it possible that maybe a slightly more helpful way forward is to create some balance? I remember when I was a school teacher an elementary art teacher years ago, one of the first grade teachers and I were like having a geek out session in the teacher's lounge one day. And she said, and I, I'll never forget this because it felt like, it felt like she was striking at something that really mattered when it came to raising kids. She said, it's not enough to have this like really idealistic approach. Like we're going to protect our children from the crap that's going on here because then they don't have the tools that they need to deal with the planet that they were born into. She said, but it's also not enough to beat all of that beauty out of them, right? Like they're bringing all of this really amazing stuff that we will be- should and can benefit from. She's like, so I view my job as kind of like a balance, right? Between those two seemingly, you know, diametrically opposed things. And I've been really thinking about that with my child, right? He he is showing me a much better way to live. And I am like desperately trying to integrate them to the extent that I can into our family life. And and there's just some like hard stuff that he has to like come on board with. Like I can't shelter him from the entire world. There's no way to do it. And how can I balance that out a little bit? And one of the ways that he is schooling me hardcore (laughs) is with art making. And this was something I really, you know, the first time I really got schooled in this was when I became an art teacher in my early 20s. But having a little human from birth onward is a totally different game. I've never really experienced watching the very, very beginning stages of the way that humans make art, not as an adult, at least. And for Brayden, it's been guitar. He, in June, um, when he was 20 months old, we went to Tennessee to have like a family reunion and my dad plays guitar and he brought his travel guitar with him. And on the last day that we were there, Jason suggested that my dad pull it out and play it for Brayden and Brayden just lost his mind. And ever since then, he, he only wants like guitar is life. (laughs) 
my dad started sending videos of him playing different songs and, and just, he would watch these things incessantly. And so for his birthday in August, my parents got him a little tiny red guitar, a three string legit guitar. <laughs> and it's, you know, he's a little young for it. It's, it's like technically for three years and up. And we were kind of like curious, how is he going to engage with this thing? And the ways that he's engaged with it are for me, like a, like, I don't even know, like a course on early human art making. So first of all, this thing is kind of like his lovey. He carries it everywhere. And he doesn't like have an obsessive relationship with it. He just kind of like carries it and then sets it down and then comes back to it. But he drags the thing all over the house. He'll take it outside if we let him. And he is constantly sitting for like really long periods of time playing it. And watching him play it is what is special. Um, It's like he's completely divorced from all of the artistic programming on the planet and he's completely into this very pure space with doing it and when I say pure space what I mean is that he's making music with something bigger than him and I talked about this about a year ago I did a podcast episode called making art with something bigger and it was about just as a like quick recap, if you're interested in like what the heck that phrase means, you can go back and listen to the episode. But it's this idea that we're not alone here. And maybe that sounds suspiciously like religion, but it's not, not for me at least. I, and that's why I entitled the episode Making Art with Something Bigger. I don't know what that thing is. Some people like to call it God, but I, and some people, have tried to move away from like God and Buddha and stuff and start have started saying spirit or universe. And even those words have started to get a little bit dogmatic, right? Like, I don't even know what those words mean. I just know it's something bigger than me. And that's cool. Like the rest of the mystery is cool. I don't really need to know. But all I know is it's there. And when I to the extent that I'm able to remove myself from some of the programs around making art that have, you know, kind of been indoctrinated into the soup of the collective and plug into the energy of that bigger thing, my making has exploded. And my son does it seamlessly. Like he was born... He was born to do it. And this is something that artists have been saying also in multiple ways across multiple generations. Um, Pablo Picasso most famously said, all children are born artists. The problem is remaining that way when they grow up. He also said, um, it took me, I don't remember, like 25 years to learn. Like I think it took him until age 25 to learn how to paint like Raphael and a lifetime to paint like a child. What does the phrase like that mean, right? Well, I don't know. I'm sure he had all kinds of context around that, but if I'm going to project some of the sensibilities of this episode onto that phrase, I would say there's something bigger that kids naturally tap into, and we lose it. 
And Picasso spent a huge part of his life, well, all of his life, <laughs> trying to get it back. And, prob- and I would say successfully did to a certain extent. And it's why his art was so different and why he got a lot of attention. You know, I don't even really like praising that guy because there were some things about Picasso that were pretty awful, <laughs> you know? But he did something very different. And, you know, it makes me sad. I know my son is going to lose it too. We Like, there's no way to avoid it. And it's to the extent that we can get it back that is to the extent that art might save this culture. So I'm watching my kiddo, like, strum this thing, and he's not interested at all in, like, does this sound good? Is someone else going to like this? Or even, like, more extreme than that, like, could I, like, make money off this or, like, sell this? Or, like, you know, what is, how does this measure up in, like, any way? He has none of that context. He's completely liberated from that. And so tapping into this thing that's bigger is so easy. And when I say this thing that's bigger, I mean the sense, the feelings, the energy of the sounds. He's he's just like reveling in the way that the sounds make him feel. And you can tell that his nervous system is like soothing itself as he is tinkering on these strings. Like there's something about this process, the sound and the feeling on his fingers, the whole sensory experience that is soothing him. And all of us have experiences like this from when we were children. Maybe some of you are immediately thinking of what yours was. Mine was drawing, of course, but yours might not once again be some traditional artistic form. Maybe it was entrepreneurship. I've actually listened to some podcasts about people talking about how from from their toddler years, like they would completely geek out on ways to make money, which feels weird, right? Like it you know, they're adopting these capitalist ideas pretty early, but when they're children, it's coming from this place of joy in the process, not necessarily in the outcome. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about artistry. Like there's this sense of I love this thing even if I fail. My kid has no, he has no even conception of failure yet. He just loves it. That's one of the primary ways that you know that you're doing artistry in, in a way that is tapped in with something bigger. Because you really don't need it. To go anywhere to make you happy. I mean, yeah, it would be cool if it went somewhere, <laughs> but if it doesn't, you're still you'll still love to do it. You you would still continue to do it if it never turned into some capitalistic success story. You know, we primarily all of us use art from from the very beginnings of our lives as a way to regulate ourselves that's the that's the primary evolutionary reason i believe that we are artists it's a way to come home to ourselves it's a way to reconnect with that thing that's bigger 
And even people who don't identify with that thing that's bigger um, still benefit from the process, whether they, you know, would call it what I'm calling it or not. Um, my husband is a great example of this. He doesn't make art in the classical sense at all. He doesn't, you know, he's not against the idea of something bigger, but he also just would prefer not to talk about it at all. (laughs) You know, um, I wouldn't say he's an atheist, but I wouldn't say he's not an atheist. Like he's just like very much like, you know, I don't know that. I mean, I'm not saying I don't know. I'm saying he doesn't know he, and he likes that. He likes that he doesn't know and it's okay with him. Whereas, you know, I'm constantly trying to, like, identify what's going on. (laughs) But, like, a couple years ago at Christmas, I reached out to one of his good friends and I said, hey, you know, this guy's hard to get gifts for. I I don't know what to get him. And he suggested that I get him this thing. Maybe some of you have heard of this. Probably not. I'm not sure. It's called a raspberry pie. It's this like little tiny processing chip thing. I'm just making up words because I actually don't know what it is. (laughs) You could Google it. The minute he opened this thing, his face like lit up. And if I'm remembering correctly what he told me, it was something to the effect of, you know, this is a way to create like a little mini processor, like mini computer that does something. I mean, that's exactly what he said. It like, it can do something. And I was like, oh, that sounds really lame. (laughs) Isn't that, that's an incredibly harsh word (laughs) because it's not lame, right? It's no more lame than sitting for 20 minutes on the couch, just like running your fingers along strings that make noises, you know, or any more lame than, you know, mixing colors (laughs) in a cup and smearing them onto a white surface and taking it to a gallery, you know, like, and he tinkered on that thing for months. You know, that's his art. That's his art form. You know, the how is the art, the state you are in when you make a thing is the art. This is a different way of thinking about art, right? How you're doing something and the state you're in is what is artistic in this example that I'm talking about with my child and with my husband. And so from this vantage point, there are many times when we can be making physical art objects in a very unartistic way. There have been times when I'm like crunching out, you know, something for a client and I'm being very scientific. I'm being very analytical. I'm being very commercial, (laughs) very, very capital, capitalistically minds, like, um, capitalistically motivated, (laughs) right? I'm trying to get them a thing that achieves their goals. This is not about making with something bigger. That bigger thing doesn't come with me into the room when I'm trying to do something for Dell, (laughs) right? Like it's like, and that's, that's a different way of talking about art, right? There's this idea that like, whenever an artist is sitting down, it's like rainbows, rainbows and unicorns every time. And that's not true. 
that can feel discouraging, but it's not. It also means the flip side is true. Like when I go outside to like mow the lawn, I can bring artistic energy to that practice. I most often don't. (laughs) And let's be honest, y'all, I don't actually mow the lawn. (laughs) But if I did, I could conceivably bring an artistic energy to that and anything else if I wanted to. Um, The how, the how and the state that we're in, the artistic how and the artistic state that we're in is connected to the thing that is bigger, right? When we make things be just for the simple fact of how it makes us feel and the state that it puts us in that is when we're tapping in with something bigger that's how you know the first time that I did this was when I was waiting tables in 2015 and I had left Trader Joe's as a sign painter to take a stab at like working for myself a little bit more and in order to do that, I took, you know, a two or three day a week bougie serving job and then started painting signs privately on the side. And it was going okay, you know, I was enjoying it. And one, I don't know, one day I went down to Town Lake and drew the skyline from the trail. And I just did it in black and white because I didn't want to haul all my markers. <laughs> I was working in ink at the time. And then I just set it aside and I was so inspired by that drawing. I love the energy of Austin. There's an energy here and it's still here, although some people probably would grumble about how it's disappearing. I don't think it's disappearing, but I do think it's changing. And I've become like really inspired by capturing some of the original creative energy of this city. And I started going around to all kinds of different places that had that feeling for me. And I was illustrating them just in black and white because I didn't, you know, I didn't really want to be like burdened with all the markers. I also was really having fun with the process and it felt really like liberating to just keep it very simple. And I was making this stack of black and white drawings and they were piling up at my studio table And one day a friend of mine came over and Jason and I were living in an apartment at the time. And my studio table during that period was down in our living room and it was full of these drawings. And she was like, hey, you should make this a coloring book. And I immediately bristled because I had absorbed this really, ooh, listen to that interruption, sorry. I had absorbed these really negative ideas about coloring books when I was in um, undergrad in art education. There is, and this is a tangent, but I feel like it's worth sharing for the story. Uh, there is a, like sort of the father of art education, the person that first sort of identified the different stages that children learn art was called Victor Lowenfeld. And he had an incredibly negative stance on coloring books. He really felt like these things were the decimators of creativity, right? Like that putting these like black and white pages in front of children was really reductionist, not helpful, (coughs) excuse me, to their creativity at all. And 
not only was it not helpful, but it was hurtful because then it was reducing some of their creative capacities into these very black and white cookie cutter ideas of what a house could be or what a tree could look like and whatever. And so I immediately was kind of like, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I could put one of those things out into the world with good, in good conscience, you know, (laughs) but I couldn't stop thinking about it. Like I, I was, and this is one of the hallmarks of making art with something bigger. There's this other thing that has a little bit more insight into the, the way that things are progressing. And this thing was kind of like, you know, it doesn't, speak in my ear like with words right it's like with a feeling I just couldn't shake the feeling that she was right like that I should do that and I finally couldn't stand it anymore maybe some of you can relate to this but like sometimes that thing will not let up and I've learned as many people have also learned the hard way that eventually that thing will shut up. Like eventually that thing that's bigger will be like, okay, cool, you're not listening to me. I'm gonna stop now. And that will haunt you your whole life. (laughs) Those things that you felt like you should do, but you never did. And I didn't, you know, I'd had some of those things happen in my younger years and I didn't want it to happen with this because, you know, I was in this really free spot in my life at the time. I was paying my bills with serving and I was getting to like meet all these cool business owners, you know, doing chalkboards for them. It was like a very free, I can do whatever I want time. And so I thought, heck, I'm just going to do that. I'm going to make a coloring book. Maybe it'll be terrible and maybe I'll feel terrible about it. And oh, well. And then, and Elizabeth Gilbert has talked about this when she wrote Eat, Pray, Love. And I'm certainly not comparing my coloring book to Eat, Pray, Love. They're on a totally different level. But the, (laughs) the context is somewhat similar like I just like put that thing out into the world and it just worked (laughs) like exploded worked like and and the primary way that it worked was you know I made a little website I didn't have any capital to print a bunch of books so I used this um online platform called blurb where people could print to order and of course the coloring books were more expensive and I got much less of a margin off of them but it was a great way to kind of just test the waters and these things started to just go like crazy and I was able to save up enough money to do a small local print run and I started taking them around to shops in Austin and everyone placed orders and it was like nothing about it was difficult everything was so easy and the the book The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho, is that even how you say his name? I'm not terribly sure, but he talks about this as beginner's luck, right? Like when you're making something in alignment with the thing that's bigger, it will go so easy in the beginning. Um, and I was very, very convinced I'm onto something like this is way too easy. And it was fun and it it wasn't, it wasn't difficult. And then the thing that was really crazy was that it completely, completely exploded my SEO. So at that time, adult coloring books became all the rage and all of these organizations were at the same time. Like, I think there was maybe five or six of them in 2016, 2017, 2018 that found me 
Becca Borelli literally by Googling Austin coloring book artist <laughs> because they were looking for a coloring book artist. And I was the only one in Austin doing that at the time. And so I've had people ask me like, cool, how in the world did you connect with Visa and Dell and Boston Beer Company? And that's how, you know, like I, I, this thing went out into the world and then this thing that was bigger just like did all of this work for me, you know, like I, I definitely showed up every day, but it, you know, it felt like there was absolutely something alongside of me doing 70, 75% of the effort. And I have to tell you that there is no way. And when I was first starting to think about working for myself, you know, in 2014, I was painting signs at Trader Joe's and I was thinking about working for myself. And naturally, I just thought in terms of the programming of the culture, which is what's going to make me money. What am I, what do I have a skill set in? Oh, painting chalkboards. Okay, I guess that's what I'll start doing. I, there was no capacity for me to think about being a coloring book artist, right? Like how, like I would never have thought of that on my own. That came from something bigger. And I share this story as an example of how it could look, not necessarily how it's always going to look, but how it does tend to look when we're listening to this thing that doesn't always make sense, but has this profound wisdom that we don't have access to. And when we listen and when timing is right, and because sometimes we listen and timing's not right, and then it just doesn't happen and that's okay. But when timing is right and we listen to this thing, magical stuff starts working. And what happens when we scale this process on a global level, right? I mean, what, I mean, I, I don't even know if I could begin to describe with words the beauty of what that could look like if globally we were creating with something bigger all the time. If globally we were creating like my son, if globally we were in all of our industries, in all of our homes, in all of our relationships, we were removing ourselves, unplugging ourselves from all of these programs about how to make money and how to look good and how to get people to like our shit. And instead, making from a place of the child. The place that all of us, by the way, have tons of experience making in because we did it ourselves as little ones. This isn't a relearning process that I'm talking about. This is a remembering process. And maybe, you know, as I'm unpacking some of this here, it might sound a little bit wishy-washy. Like, yeah, just, just make stuff like a child after decades of programming. No, like, no, that's, no, certainly not. This is hard ass crap I'm talking about right now. This is something Picasso, the master, spent his whole life dissecting, right? And both and can be true here, right? This can be really hard and really freaking amazing work, right? Like, I know everyone knows this. Like, when you've done that thing, that thing that regulates your nervous system, that thing that you would do if no one paid, if that thing you would do forever if you could, even if no one paid you, like if all of your bills were just taken care of, 
and you could just like do whatever you wanted endlessly because it felt amazing, that thing. You know that feels so beautiful. Even if it would take a lifetime to remember how you did it as a two-year-old, it wouldn't matter because it feels that good. That, that thing. What would happen if the whole planet started acting from that space? You know, I don't know. I don't know. It's just a question. This is, is the tension, I suspect. I, I'm just throwing this out there because this is just how I see the situation. I probably am wrong, first of all, and that's okay. And you probably disagree in certain ways, if not always, and that's also okay. But I do think the tension between the artistry of the what and the artistry of the beingness that tension is where we're at right now. There are all of these programs that have existed on the planet for a really long time about making stuff. And I'm not just talking about making paintings right now. Like we have, like I want to reiterate this again and again throughout this podcast. I'm talking about making a life, making relationships, making professions, making, you know, anything. The focus has been on what am I making? How does it perform in a market economy? right? That's been the, honestly, that's been my focus. Like I'm talking about all these beautiful ideas around artistry and generally I spent the majority of my time focusing on the old programs around artistry as a way to support my business and myself and my family. And slowly but surely over the past couple of years and going forward from this podcast episode, I'm slowly trying to incorporate some of this new energy because that's where we're at we're at a place on the planet where I have to be in the rat race to make make crap that like looks good to other people and makes money we're moving out of that space it might not feel like that in fact it might feel like the rat race is like worse than ever (laughs) And the violence is worse than ever. And the, the superficiality is worse than ever. And years ago, I had someone say that often, as things get much, much better, the things that were bad get much, much more noticeable. That's the law of contrast. That's the law of art, right? Like... If there's lots of dark colors in a painting, you know, they're not really noticeable because that's all that there is. But the more and more light colors you add, the more and more dark colors you notice, right? This is the same with energy. And I do think that's what's happening right now, by the way. Um, I, don't, I don't think anyone has ever loved war. And even just three genera- two generations ago, war was much more popular. Like there is like there was like propaganda. There were like, yeah, there were like all kinds of like shows and movies about supporting war and war is amazing and we've got to do it. Like if you think about World War One, it's totally different. Totally different energy than what we're experiencing now. Like when you go on online 
and you read the zeitgeist around what's happening in the Middle East, the energy is totally different. I'm not trying to make comparisons here or say any single thing about the conflict going on. That's not what this podcast is about. And it could be very triggering for you and it could bring up a lot. And and that's very understandable. It brings up a tremendous amount for me as well. But I, I'm using it because it's such a prominent example in the collective right now that I think everyone can acknowledge. The energy around this violence is much less tolerated if not downright like rejected by the collective compared to just just my grandparents generation you know that's huge it it might feel like things are so much worse but it's because <laughs> there is so much less tolerance for it than ever before and i want to suggest that it's because this shift in artistry is happening everywhere. It's happening everywhere. And it feels weird to like try to connect artistry with something as big and as massive as global problems, but I think it's worth it because I feel like it's important to wake artists up to the ways that what they're doing actually heals the planet right away, right away. So when, and, and maybe this is why there's a lot of anger on the internet right now around, you know, if you're not doing, if you're not sharing these atrocities, if you're not doing X, Y, and Z as, you know, activism, if you're not, you know, doing A, B, and C, you're part of the problem. Like there's a lot of these messages that happen when cultures and collectives and communities get scared and I think one of the first groups that start to really second guess themselves are artists like oh maybe yeah maybe I need to be out there like you know like maybe I need to send money maybe I need to you know yeah maybe I am part of the problem maybe I don't care you know that all of those things are thoughts that I've had recently I'm wondering if you've had them too and they're all legitimate thoughts and they all are worth dissecting because, you know, complacency is a thing and numbing out is a thing and not acting when you should act is a thing for sure. And it often, some of these messages often end up doing the exact opposite of what they're intended to do, which just paralyze people and make them feel awful. And then they don't do anything. And I really think it happens with artists. Like, why should I bother doing art right now? This is a, like, like my art means so little. Like, who am I to sit in the luxury of my quiet studio and tap in with this thing that's bigger in this safe, luscious environment and channel all these beautiful images onto a canvas when mothers and fathers are being ripped from their children on the other side of the planet like that feels like an awful thing to do you know I guess a pause is necessary like I like I don't even know where to go from that that's that's huge and painful just to say out loud like and I've actually been like I'm 
maybe it's important to acknowledge this before I go any further. This episode came into fruition because I'm dealing with this exact thing right now. I'm not speaking from the sa- the stage here. I'm not the sage on the stage. I like am more of a guide on the side with this crap. I I am thinking about this all the time. I have completely stagnated in my art making because I feel often like what is the point and this podcast is the message that I've been trying to give myself over and over again the last few months and to the extent that it's helped me I'm wondering if it will help you but maybe it won't or maybe only pieces of it will and take what resonates with you and leave the rest you know why does this matter like why does this like how does this matter to an everyday artist this was a question we talked about at the beginning of the episode and i'm not just talking once again we're not just talking about traditional artists here i'm talking about everyone that makes in an artistic state and that's all of us listening to this podcast right now i recently watched the netflix the netflix um movie naiad which if it just came out if you i'm sure most of you listening to this who have netflix have seen it or watched it um annette benning jodie foster do this beautiful job of retelling the story of diana naiad who at the age of 28 years old in the 70s attempted to swim from cuba to key west uh, without stopping in an and unassisted without stopping and she couldn't make it and she let decades go by and then decided in her 60s that she was gonna try until she either did it or died (laughs) basically and at age 64 she did it and you know I'm sorry if that's a spoiler to anyone by the way it's not really a spoiler insofar as it's the news (laughs) but the I you know I kind of knew ahead of time that this movie was gonna you know end up in this really positive way but it didn't make the movie any less enjoyable to watch because the things that she encountered and did and the type of person that she was is really complex and really interesting and after I watched the movie I went on and did like some googling about her because she's a fascinating person and I ran across an interview that she did where she was talking about the experience of arriving in Key West with like all of these people cheering and waiting for her. She'd been swimming for 52 hours. She's her whole body is swollen and raw from the salt water. She has like, like scabs all down her neck, just from the salt, like scraping her neck while she swam. She is hallucinating from from not only not sleeping for that many days, but also like exerting tremendous physical strength (laughs) for so long. And she said, even in that state, she realized like she, like as she got out of the water, she could see people just weep, like weeping. It actually makes my voice crack because that energy is so pure, right? Like people who didn't even know her were like weeping as they like saw her like pulling, like pulling herself out of the water and she had to do it unassisted. Like no one could help her until she had both angles out of the water. And she said, I realized as I was looking at these people that they weren't crying because I just sw- <laughs> swam from Cuba. Like that didn't matter. The thing that she did, the thing that she made 
didn't matter. The reason they were crying is because they saw in her face like this tremendous suffering. Like she had suffered (laughs) huge levels of pain and she didn't give up. And that is a human experience that everyone on that beach knew intimately. And Nyad's story is like, to me, this amazing example of what this podcast is about. She was 100% making with something bigger, by the way. There's no way you can do that without learning how to tap into something bigger. And she kind of even, and she doesn't call it that. (laughs) She probably would be annoyed like hearing me describe it that way because she just, she strikes me as someone that's not particularly hippie, but maybe she is. She, but she says at the beginning of this movie and it's, you know, taken from real life. She said, I couldn't do this when I was 28 because I didn't have my mind right, but I have my mind now. And now I just got to get my body back. And she doesn't say this out loud, but the implication is it's easier to get the body stuff back than it is the mind. Like I needed my whole life to get, to get tapped in with this thing that was bigger. My brain and my brain and this thing are connected now. And now I just, and it took her what I think like four years to get her body, (laughs) not just to get her body back, but to get in such alignment with this thing that was bigger that it worked like her final swim, everything kind of just aligned right in this, in a similar way to my coloring book. Like when you're working with that thing, that's bigger, it just kind of works a little bit easier. When you're making with something bigger, even if the people on the beach didn't view it that way, even if she didn't view it that way, as she's pulling herself out of the water, people are seeing in action the the capacities that they also have right and we live in this really like kind of gross capitalistic culture with all kinds of programming around some people are stronger and some people are weaker and some people are meant for greatness and some people are not and I you know suspect that Diana Nyad actually buys into a lot of those programs even now (laughs) she's a very imperfect person and the movie definitely you know illustrates that But this type of creativity, this type of living, this type of artistry that I'm trying to talk about very imperfectly, by the way, in this episode, is that there's no better or worse here. All of us were born with this thing, right? And no, I'm not saying all of us were born with the ability to swim from Cuba to Havana or Cuba to Havana, sorry, from Cuba to Key West. What I'm saying is that to the extent that she was able to tap into something bigger and create from that pure place, so can you. And not only can you not do it, you've already done it. You were doing it when you were little and you probably just don't have any memory of it. I, when I was coming up with this podcast episode, I was like thinking to myself, how am I, (laughs) like, where do, where does, where does this go from here? Like, what would this look like, right? Like if everyone started making in alignment with something that was bigger, what would that look like? And that's like an episode for another time. First of all, I don't even know. (laughs) 
Um, I don't know if it matters at this point, although obviously that's important. It is important, right? You can't create what you don't imagine first. Like This is one of the core challenges that I think globally we're facing right now. I once heard someone talking about when someone is in an abusive relationship with like a romantic partner, man or woman, and you know, they're talking to their friends about it and their friend is like, why don't you just leave? Like they treat you like crap. You're so unhappy. You've been miserable for years. And often when that person isn't ready yet, they'll say a version of this. They'll say, I just can't imagine being without them. And that is so luscious in its revealing nature about how we get stuck, right? Like getting stuck is actually a crisis of artistry, right? It's often viewed as a crisis of will. And I've talked about this before, right? Like, and all over the planet right now, we're hearing people screaming, if we wanted this more, if we were stronger, if we were better, if we didn't suck as a human species, we wouldn't be here. And so the answer is to grit harder and be stronger and be better. And what I'm trying to suggest in this podcast is that that might, well, no, actually, I, I really think that's the wrong path. The path is we need to be better at imagining and arting. Like we're going to imagine our way, envision our way, art, art, art our way, create our way out of this. And the first step is imagining. We can't create a world that we can't imagine first. And most of the people on this planet don't even dare to imagine something better because it hurts too much. And that's, that's where this type of creativity is really powerful, right? Like, I don't know. I don't even know if I dare to imagine a planet that great. But I know that when I sit down with my markers... I can imagine some pretty amazing stuff there. That's the starting place for most of us. And you're not trying, like when you when you put this podcast episode down and you go to do whatever it is that you do, right? It's not about the thing. I don't it really isn't. Like it's about it's about the how. It's like everyone, it's like, it's like Diana and I had pulling herself out of the ocean and saying, I thought it was about swimming this far, but it wasn't. It was about the energy. Like people saw me going through that and that was what healed them. And and I don't even know if that might be too ostentatious to say, right? Like, I don't know if she created healing in them, but she reminded them, she reminded them of what it's like to make stuff and suffer for it and and she did it as an as a full-grown adult by the way like it, maybe it sounds like I'm suggesting that we all become two-year-olds again you know maybe it sounds like I'm putting my son on a pedestal like this is the way that the world is going to save itself is by acting like two-year-olds no the world is already acting like two-year-olds <laughs> <laughs> that's why we're in the situation that we're in. Um, I'm suggesting what if we could cherry pick some of the ways that two-year-olds really get it 
and marry it with some of the ways that adults really get it, right? Like that's what Naya did. Like she remembered the purity of her childhood swimming, but it took her until she was 64 to have the connection, the reconnection with something bigger to get her butt across all that water. I... I know this podcast episode is a little bit all over this place, all over the place. I'm, I'm so aware of that. And I also kind of am intending to be a little bit all over the place because I'm very tired of art being about a vase. Like it's really, it's a problem. It makes artists not understand the power that they have when they do stuff. Like I'm not helping artists in Palestine right now like I'm not I'm not but if I like like if like if I like if I'm talking about like a physical fleshy in the earth kind of way I'm not you know but if I believe that we're all connected and I believe in something bigger then I have to believe that when I sit down and make things in tandem with this thing that is bigger, that I am somehow healing the soup, healing the sauce. And the sauce 100% touches me and touches them. And I don't, I'm, I'm too small to know how that works. Right now I'm just operating on faith that it does. It's one of the reasons I selected Secret Sauce as the title of this podcast, because the sauce is where artistry really directly heals the collective, right? Like this is what Dave Chappelle and Toni Morrison are talking about. Like when you do the thing that you're supposed to be doing in tandem with something bigger and you're brave and you do it from a place of love and a place of soothing yourself and a place of childness, childlike wonder. When you tap in to that space and unplug from all the programs and all the market economy chunk and all of that stuff, that affects the soup. <laughs> it affects the sauce. And instantly, instantly matters for people on the other side of the planet. And no, we don't get to see that, right? Like I don't I don't get to see how that works and that's one of the reasons why it's so scary and it's one of the reasons why we feel so limited. But I do think that increasingly we're starting to see the ways that incorporating this artistic state of being into everything is changing the sauce. It's happening in healthcare right now. For a long time, there was this very linear Western model of medicine. If you have an illness, we're going to give you a drug to treat the symptoms, right? And then 20, 30, 40 years ago, this new idea around medicine started to emerge. And when I listen, and it's called functional medicine, and when I listen to some of the original practitioners of functional medicine from the 70s and 80s talk, they describe it as an art form. They'll say the body is an art form, right? Like everything is connected. We have to treat illness as a normal and natural response to some type of problem. And 
that is one example of how artistry is pervading an industry that isn't typically thought of as artistic at all. This is happening everywhere. It's happening everywhere. But it was started with you. You listening to this, who is an artist, who who cares about art, who would listen this long to a long podcast about, you know, some random illustrator from Texas rambling on and on about all kinds of stuff that is disjointed, doesn't totally make sense. Like, this is where some of these original ideas begin, is with artists, right? Um, and I, I really believe that as we start to wake up to the ways that making things immediately affects the soup, we're going to stop beating ourselves up. Yeah, your bowl of fruit that you're painting, and yeah, I keep using this as a dramatic example, but this could be anything that anyone makes. It matters. If that's what if that's what you're supposed to do, if that's what brings you joy, if that's the thing that this thing that is bigger wants to do with you, yeah, it matters. And I suspect some people listening to this are like, what is this thing that's bigger? What is she talking about? I don't like all of these ling- all these words and some of this language doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah. So first of all, I'm with you on that. You know, I started delving into some of these topics about 15 years ago and I remember some of the practitioners and different books and different podcasts and different poems and things that I would come up against. I was like, "What in the world? <laughs> what in the world do they mean?" Right? Like I wanted them to like explain themselves a little bit better. And You know, the truth is you kind of just live your way into understanding and the way that you live your way into understanding is by taking what resonates and leaving the rest. The shit that doesn't make sense, just dump it. It really doesn't matter. Was there even one nugget in this entire hour that can make your artistic life more peaceful, that can give you some peace around doing the work that you really want to do in a time on the planet that feels so unsafe? that then take that and dump the rest it's truly cool it's actually helpful to me too it gives me permission to just kind of go with it because not everything is for everybody it can't it can't possibly be it's a game changer isn't it it's a game changer to make from a place that isn't about winning some kind of race the the race that we're in right now, by the way, is a race that everyone is eventually going to win. You know, up until this point, and this is something I truly believe, up until this point in history, we've been fighting battles where there was always a loser. And this battle that we're in right now, the, the, the long game, the long battle, everyone's going to win. This isn't a destruction of something it's the absorption of something there is a new energy there's a new way of making on this planet that is slowly absorbing the old way and everyone is going to win at the end some people are going to kick and scream doing it but eventually and, and I don't know how long it's going to take like maybe I make it sound like it's going to be in a couple of years probably like thousand years I don't I don't actually know 
But I do really believe, you know, sort of in Martin Luther King Jr.'s famous statement about the arc of justice, you know, it's long, but it always curves in the right way. I'm paraphrasing, you know, it's, he didn't say it that way. (laughs) You are tremendously good. I believe artists are tremendously good at tapping in with something that's bigger. It's why I started talking about that on this podcast, because I feel like even if people listening to this don't totally know what that is, because I certainly didn't, um, I feel like you also kind of do. Like everyone has had that experience of sitting down and getting into the zone with a thing and suddenly there's an energy there. You know, I chase that sometimes. Like I'll I'll sit down like hoping for that thing to show up and and when it doesn't I get annoyed. <laughs> but every day I I try to sit down, you know, knowing that maybe today won't be the day, but maybe there'll be another day. And the more and more I do it, the more I realize it's a muscle. Like that this thing is with me all the time. And you know, I just happen to be raised in a collective energy that doesn't acknowledge that there's anything bigger. You know, like there's religions and there's spiritual groups and all of them have lots of ideas about what's going on with this thing that's bigger. And that's not what this podcast episode is about. Um except maybe as context to say that what I'm talking about is like like best friend exchanges here. Like this isn't something that I go to yoga to tap into. Like this is something, like this thing that's bigger, I chat with this thing at breakfast. Like that's how easy it is. And that type of ease is somewhat threatening <laughs> to large groups that like to be gatekeepers, even even groups that claim to not be gatekeepers in some ways benefit from gatekeeping this access. And I, what I'm trying to say in this podcast is that making art with something bigger, you could do right now. Just like go sit down at your table, clear your head if you can, and like ask the thin air, what do I most need to know right now? And then like write down the crap that comes up into your head or draw it. And maybe nothing will happen. But if you do that like 10 days in a row, something I guarantee will happen that really is profound for you. And you can do this every day right? There is something always with you. And when we collectively start making art and making our lives and making our relationships, I know I'm repeating myself with this thing. I mean, that's when the tipping point happens. That's that's how change happens, right? There's been this slow slog forward and it's felt like we're not getting anywhere collectively. In fact, it's felt like things are getting worse and worse. But it's almost like a rubber band, right? Like things are getting more taut, more taut, more taut. And suddenly there's going to be a tipping point where more people are creating their lives and their work this new way than not. And the band is going to snap and we're going to launch into the new stuff. And it'll probably be terrifying. (laughs) But we're going to make up a lot of, a lot of miles <laughs> when that happens. <sighs> I'm going to post this. I'm going to post this 
big cluster of stuff. Um, mostly because I'm, I've been getting nagged to do it and I urge you to consider the same. Like, I, I don't, you know, I'm like the podcast and this episode that feels kind of like a bigger thing, but maybe you're just going to go out and completely refresh your garden. You've been like feeling the nag to do it for months and you're like, why does that even matter in this time? Like, why, why does that even matter? Well, there may be like a really big reason that it matters that years from now you'll get to find out just like when I decided to try printing a coloring book, (laughs) you know, I don't know. It's just a thought. What are the things that have been really pushing on your brain? Um, can you open up to the ways that they really matter right now? They really matter right now. You're not small. You're not weak. Your stuff is profoundly needed. Profoundly needed. <sighs> Until next time. I love y'all. I look forward to posting again soon. <laughs> Peace.